wonderful. Bravo! I loved that. Oh, it was great. Well, it was pretty good. Well, it wasn't bad. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good, It though. could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get him away! Hey, boo! Boo! Welcome to Deep Thoughts from the Back Pew, where two churchgoers spend some time ignoring the logs in their own eyes to pass judgment and hopefully occasionally provide meaningful analysis of the weekly sermon from their pastor. This is Kathleen and Joel, and here are some deep thoughts from the back pew. And welcome back to the back pew. Kathleen and Joel here. That was an awkward... Ready to throw some stones. <laughs> welcome back. Um, yeah, throwing stones from atop our very clean slates. Yeah, no, we, um, we just got like... We're still working on our intro. Yeah. We're, we're, we're not good at this. It's just, that's, that's just a given. Well, that's the whole point. <laughs> we're thinking, we're saying out loud the stupid things you're thinking. It's, it's the podcast that's been described as a commentary with a lot of love and just the right amount of cynicism. <laughs> yes. So, we're a good mix. Yeah. This week we're talking about jobs. It's Job. <laughs> There's not even an S in it, so that joke is actually not that funny. You would have to say job. Oh, you think that joke wasn't funny? <laughs> Give it a second. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, let's... Um, speaking, our, of, speaking of things that aren't funny, let's right? hear the story of Job. <laughs> well, our, our, our comments from our dry run were, it's too long. What's wrong with you people? Why do you keep doing these things? <laughs> How many podcasts are you going to produce? Yeah, um, and that was just my dad. So <laughs> let's get right to the sermon. So God is able and he is willing. You know, Cain always wanted to be like his brother, but he just wasn't able. God is able to restore your life, your financial fortunes, your physical health. Last week we talked about how he restores our relationship, and above all, he restores us to himself so that we have peace and contentment. That's what this sermon series is all about right from the Bible, the restoration project of God in your life. Today, to see more of it, we turn to the man Job. Now, Job began his life loving God and having a happy life. He went through a period of loss and devastation And then finally, he was restored to the state that Paul read today, and that's part of why I'm so confident that God can bring restoration to your life, because he did it for Job. But, and you knew there was a but coming, (laughs) you need to realize that the book of Job is actually 42 chapters long. It's one of the longest single books in all of the Bible. All these things (laughs) that God did for Job, taking him through this time of testing and then blessing the end of his life lavishly, it took a while. It was a process. I commend you reading the the whole book from start to finish. And before we go any Uh, further, here's the first point on your notes to bring to your small group this morning. And let's get it on the record and all realize that an authentic life with Jesus is a journey. And his work of restoration in our lives is a process. Uh, I don't want a journey. I just want to be at the happiness part. 
I'm not here for the journey. Well, he said you're happy to be in the happiness part, but you're going to cycle out of it if you live long enough. So that's kind of the the cost of living a long time is that if you go long enough, you're going to cycle into a... Uh, I want instant happiness, and I want to always be happy. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> uh, the Lord doesn't want to just wave his wand and magically make our lives perfect. Apparently. He's taking <laughs> us into a relationship. He's teaching us things constantly. He's unfolding a plan in our lives that takes time, that goes in stages, and includes going all the way to the end of our lives with him. That is the promise of the Lord's faithfulness in our lives, and it's the process of a journey with Jesus to the just last moment that we spend no, on this earth. Now let's turn journey. back more to Job. Job lived his life, let's call it, he lived his life in three acts. Act one, act two, act three. As I describe them, identify which one you are in today. Act one, things were great. He was healthy, he had a beautiful family, he was financially successful as his businesses boomed, and above all, he walked with God, he loved God, and God blessed him. Listen, if you are in act one today, praise God. I actually think that's a hard thing, particularly for us and our friends, people who are comfortable um, and even people who are more than comfortable is, you know, the, the like, oh, Job was doing well and walking with God. Well, was he, though? Because when you're secure, when you're feeling good, when you feel like you're doing okay, you don't feel like you need God. You know, you're... Like, yeah, but I think that's why Job was exceptional to the point where you're like, Satan and God got into it about him. They're like, ha, look at this guy. He's happy and he's still with me and he's going to stick with me. I think he's, I think that what you're saying is like, well, not everybody's like that. But that was God's point. Job is exceptional. I, I would say it's not even that not everybody's like that. I think everyone is everyone else, except for the person in the story of Job, um, the character, everyone else, you get comfortable and you feel like you don't need God. And so you kind of turn away from God. Not even turn away like from God, just kind of like projecting. drift away. I don't think I, I feel am. like you're I projecting. Think, I think that when people feel good about their lives, they start to feel like they earned it. They start to feel like they well, are yeah, okay. That's probably a general sense that is yeah. true. Thank you. Sorry. You just I just made think it it's sound... important that when we're in that phase, we don't just thank God. We don't just praise God, that we remember that we still need God and that it's not a matter of, I love God and I'm grateful to God, but I still need him to keep this going. Yeah. Give him the glory. You're here to give him thanks. Never apologize for being blessed. Never feel embarrassed that you are happy. Don't feel for a moment guilty that maybe your life right now is beautiful. I hope it is. I hope it stays that way. Stay humble. Give God the glory. And keep looking how you can take your blessings and bless podcast. others. But give thanks to God because I want your life to be happy and beautiful and as easy as it possibly can be. So if Just that's you today, you praise God. God. Act two for Job was very different. The specifics were that there was death in his family. There were financial setbacks in his businesses. There was the betrayal of friends. And there was a physical malady that kept him in constant pain. 
All right, why is the Bible never specific on what these physical maladies are? Dude, they didn't have doctors. <laughs> like, okay, describe it. He had uh, his back hurt, or uh, he had a, a cyst in his armpit, or like, it, like I just don't understand. They're always like vague, like there's a physical malady. It comes up like quite a few times where it's like, can you just like describe it? That's cool. All right, I'm done, sorry. Go. Now there's a backstory here. All of these things that happened to Job, Satan was doing it to him, but God was allowing it because a question was being asked and answered, and Job was in the middle of that question, and that question is this. Do we love and obey God to gain his blessings or because he is worthy of our love and our obedience? What's our motive thing about it is, is that God is a tremendous source of blessing. He loves to bless, and there are ways to receive his blessing, and that tempts us to say, you know what? I'm kind of in this for the blessings, not for you, and of course, we need to be in any relationship, not just for what people can do for us, but because we want to love them back, and so it is with God, and everything that Job is going through is to test him to see where his heart is at. Okay, I like how we're applying this to Job, but one of the things I do with the kids every week when we do our Bible story is ask, what does this story teach us about the character of God? And I have to say, even after, I've heard this sermon once already, even after hearing it, I have no idea, like, how I could even spin it for the kids um, in a way that it's, that it reveals the character of a God and, like, that is that squares with everything else I know about God. I, there are still some, I just have... And he can't answer every question about this story in one sermon, but I just have so many questions well, still I don't left think, over. I think it's more about our relationship yeah. and our... I get that our, that's what our, it's like, about. Our relationship to God in like kind of the same way you talk about our relationship to the son, like where we stand. Not our relationship like how we get along with him, but our relationship in who we are and who God is and what that means and what it means to be what human. What does this story teach us about the character of God? When you answer that question with Job, it is very hard it teaches to us square that God with is Jesus. God. It's very hard to square it with Jesus is what it, it is. It teaches us that God is God and we are people and oh. that things happen down here in the world and they are good things, they are bad things, they are great things, they are terrible things. But what is happening with us and to us does not change that fundamental relationship that we are people, he is God. I don't think... We're going to lose a lot of listener on this because um, we only have the one. <laughs> and actually, I, I... Hey, Joel's dad. I think he would agree with me when I say that, that Job might not be a literal retelling of something that actually happened. There might not have a transcript from a conversation Regardless, God had with it's Satan. it's biblical. It's true. It is. And, and I it think still should truth, teach us something about the character yeah, of God. And I think it's the a truth you can thing. get out of it is that, yeah... Even if you are the most righteous, wonderful person on the planet who's doing everything right in their business and they have a great family and great relationships, things can and will go bad. And that God will be there and God is God through all of that. Oh, and God is when not things there are, for Job. God lets it happen. He literally is there for Job. No, he literally he comes back. lets it happen to him. He has the power to stop it and doesn't. When Job says, Sorry. what the heck, God, God is standing there to say... Hey, I am God and you are people. Yeah. And then when God is, when God, when Job is blessed again, God is still God. Job is not 
in charge. Job is not in control. Job is people. God is God. Okay. I don't know. I feel no, like I think that's that what is I can the get point. out of it. No, yeah. I think that is, but it's it's. And I I agree that it doesn't. It's hard to God, square with Jesus. It's yeah, hard it to square, square with, with God as revealed through Jesus. Yes. Um, and which is why I don't I don't think it's necessarily what actually happened. I think it's just a a morality tale of hey, bad things happen even if you worship God. Don't let that get you down. Don't let it pull you back. It, but but I think your actual your original statement about what it says well, about God's it character. In Twenty yep. seconds. That's going to get simplified. All right, fine. And I know for a fact that as I describe Act 2 in Job's life, I am describing your reality today. Not mine. Act 3, we've already seen that Mm. after this time of devastation and trial, the Lord restored Job and he ended his life. Yes, has lots of nice things and lots of beautiful people in his life. But what the the Bible is doing there is he's painting a picture of a man who is content and at peace because he has been restored. Now, I've asked you, as I described Job's three-act life, which one are you in today? Now, if you say to yourself, I think I might be in act two, let me tell you something about being in act two, a time of suffering and loss. And I'm not talking just about being irritated. Life can be irritated. I'm not just Again, talking about going through a few things. Mm-hmm. We're always going through a few things. I'm talking about a period in your life when it feels like you are losing the life that you have come to love and you don't know if you're ever going to get anything back. If you're in Act chapter 2, you will know it without a doubt. Let me help you to understand it. Some of you don't need help. You're in it. But let me help you to understand it by describing a time in my own life when my life was in the second act, story time. suffering and loss. I grew up in a family of four. Mom and dad, both story, awesome you know as mom going. and dad, and an older sister oh. to complete this set. Oh, no. Our life was <laughs> like anybody else's life. There were ups and downs, and there were every days, but mostly we would have to say I mean, that the, the Wallaces the who lived at 610 series, Maple but... Street were a very, very blessed family, and we were, and life went on. My dad retired in his early 60s soon after. He got cancer. It wasn't great, but he smoked three packs a day, so it wasn't too surprising. But the kind of cancer he had, and with lots of prayer, he kept living. The treatments worked. Things were a little bit different, but he had many, many good days. But then my dad's health started to crash, and the suffering that can come with terminal cancer began to grip him, and things were different. At the same time, my one and only sister was in a car accident that left her in a coma. Dad finally crashed in his health. He died. Two months later, my sister in the coma gets pneumonia. She dies. I'm standing to try to keep mom going as she buries her husband and then her only daughter. I stepped back from this period in my life and I looked at my own family. At that time, Kathy and I, we had two children, a boy and a girl. We thought we were done having children. But I finally realized that your family of four can go down to a family of two really fast. And I started feeling in my heart that what I really wanted was more family. And even though we had given away all the baby stuff, Kathy got pregnant. And it was such a joy. Life out of death. Something happy and joyous to look forward to after such an intense season of grief. 
Well, because we were older and our kids were older, they were nine and, and seven, we all went to the first appointment, the first ultrasound, oh. where you meet your baby. Oh, you haven't heard the story. And for our kids, no, it was going to be meeting yeah, their new going. brother or sister. It was like Christmas, Easter, and every other happy holiday all rolled into one as we rolled into that appointment. It's not like Christmas. They started the procedure of the ultrasound, and since we'd been through this before, I did not like the look on the technicians of face immediately. Couldn't find the heartbeat. She says, that's okay. Sometimes that happens. She kept looking and looking. She went to get the doctor, showed him the pictures. The doctor said, you better send your kids out of the room. And he told us that the pregnancy had ended and that there would be a miscarriage. Now, instead of introducing our kids to their new brother and sister, we had to go outside and tell them that there would be no baby. There, there's no restoration from that. There's, I mean, there is. That's the thing. It just depend, depends on how you define restoration. But I just, um, we've lost, uh, we've had a mis, been through a miscarriage, and it will, it, the pain from that will never go away. And I, one of my biggest fears in life, like weirdly, like I, I, I could get. Obviously, now you and the kids are a big part of it, but losing one of my siblings has always been, like, a weirdly intense fear, um, especially my little brother. Not that I don't love my sister as much as I love my brother, but I, like, feel way more protective of my little and brother. to be fair, if someone's getting lost... It's <laughs> my little brother. He's not little. He's it's okay. 30. <laughs> he'll, he'll, never, he'll never hear this, um, but, yeah, he's easily lost. I, I just... I have always had this intense fear that something was going to happen to one of them, and... Especially, I just have this, always had this intense fear that something was going to happen to my brother. And when I, whenever I think about, honestly, whenever I get frustrated with Todd, I can just think about him losing his sister. And it makes me, like, immediately empathetic to him. <laughs> it's just like a little device I use whenever I'm getting uh, frustrated yeah. with my boss. I mean, I don't think losing the first one was as hard on me as it was on you. Um, but it is... We look forward to the restoration um, when our our boy's brother or sister is waiting for us, and we will be restored, and the family will be restored. Uh, and it's not that one replaces the other, but we did go on to have two beautiful, well, two boys anyway. <laughs> um, there's there's the smart one and the pretty one. Uh, it's okay, they'll never hear this either. <laughs> But they do not make up for it. They just don't. And I think that that's the hardest part of Job is that, is that no matter what God does to restore him afterwards, you don't get over what you lost. And it, it, you don't, it's just like, I, I can talk about anything without losing my mind. And this is just like the one thing that five years later, I just can't get it together about. Yeah, I guess you just. Hold hands and move <laughs> forward and it do what you can. Um, and again, remember that we will be restored. We are a restored people. We have a restored religion that the cross is waiting for us at the end of the day. Oh, um, I have this like weird fantasy that when I I am not a person that like counts on seeing my loved ones in heaven, but that, like I think like what if I go to heaven and there's this kid there that's like, I've been waiting for you. 
we should cut this out. <laughs> nope. Uh, well, and then you get into the existential issue of without, if we hadn't lost that one, we wouldn't have had our first one. Yep. Um, and not knowing him is, anyways, <laughs> we'll get back to Todd's story. I just thought I, I, I paused him because I thought you might have something to say there. And that's when I got serious about understanding <laughs> Thanks, this, this God who promises to bring restoration to our lives. That desperation and that pain brought me to the book of Job. And in the book of Job, I learned something that I want to pass on to you. And I pray that it will do for you what it did and still does for me. Among other things, in the book of Job, I learned the difference between acceptance and surrender. And I'm going to try to convey it to you today. Let's start with acceptance. Acceptance helps a person to keep functioning. It was a struggle every day, and you know what I'm talking about some days, just to keep functioning. Your heart is so heavy. Your soul is so sad, but you've got to accept it. It happened. You have to deal with it. You and life will never be the same, but life goes on, and you've got to function. There's a good part of acceptance. Acceptance is important in the process. People who can't or won't come to acceptance, they stop living and they merely stop existing. So I was trying to accept it and to keep moving on and moving forward with my life. But in a deeper look at scripture, I found that there was something beyond acceptance. I found that there was something called surrender. Let me make my next three points about surrender. Number one, surrender <laughs> helps a person to keep functioning. Wait, what? Uh, we love three, by the and way. And to, to move fair. forward into restoration. That was a revelation to me. You're probably smarter than me and already figured this out, but it was new to Raise me. Raise that bar. I figured <laughs> I've just got to accept this. That's the key. I've just got to accept this because that will keep me functioning, but that will not move you forward. You need to something that will move you forward in your faith, forward in your life, forward in your hope, and forward to restoration. And as I deeply looked into the scripture, I saw that the key to moving forward into restoration is surrender is surrender. Lord, I, I surrender myself, this situation, and everything that I love completely to you. Jesus, I put this all in your hands. That's the first thing that needs to be done. You need to surrender it. I needed to surrender it. This is one of those moments of easier said than done, uh, where he's like, just say it. And I'm like, well, no, don't just say it. It's like, you have to mean it. And then getting yourself to mean it is just, um, it, I find acceptance much easier. Yeah, you well, accept <laughs> what you can do. And then if you can do nothing, do nothing. Well, which I think you struggle with as far as when you can do yes. nothing, just do nothing. Yes. I have a very hard time with I think I have a very hard time with surrender. I think that that is yeah, maybe that's surrender. Maybe acceptance is knowing that you can do nothing, and then surrender is not taking that next step. And okay, then I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to attack this problem. I may have been accused today of um, having being led by God in certain areas, but not surrendering to the timeline. And I think that that is the biggest issue: is that I want to keep everything moving forward at all the time, all the time, and 
no thanks. I'd rather I'd rather take control of that myself. God, thanks. I'm gonna, is it, yeah. You know what just you need. Just like Jesus said. You need said. a time turner. Yeah, I do. Not just accept it, but to pour out my heart, all my pain and anguish, and ultimately the control of everything I am and everything I love, I need to put it into his hands. And here's what it did for me. And here's what I believe it can do for you. Here's the second point this morning about surrender. Surrender means that something is happening in me instead of something happening to me. Just for reference, Joel rolled his eyes at that point, but I disagree. I was, all I was going to say is it's another <laughs> trademark PTW Hallmark moment. What a difference that makes. Things happen in life. Some of them are not good. And sometimes the not good things accumulate on top of you in a very, very difficult season of your life. What does it all mean? What good can possibly come out of it? What will your life be now that you're going through this? I don't know how to find the answers to that question except for one way. The only way I know to move beyond those overwhelming questions is to surrender them to Jesus. Jesus, I've got all kinds of things going on in my life that don't add up or make any sense to me. Jesus, I'm trying to figure out why in the world I'm being taken through this season in my life and I can't see it. So Jesus, I give up. I surrender my need to know and understand what is happening to me to you. I think that that's my initial reaction to the idea of surrender being easier said than done is that I feel like, uh, and I don't remember if he does end up hitting on this, but that surrender is like, it has to be an ongoing process. Like it's not like it, you know, in a, in a military situation, um, you surrender and then there's a stop point and then people do their thing of like having, what do they call those? Treaties, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? After wars. Words there's like hard. a thing, it's like you surrender and that solves the problem or that you surrender and that ends the conflict. Um, but in this kind of surrender, I think it's something you have to do over and over and over and over again as part of a discipline um, of the way you're dealing with uh, the your grief. And um, so it's kind of a weird word because of our um, understanding of surrender as something that is done and then that ends a conflict when a surrender is something that is, is more of a, a, a discipline and something that you decide to remind yourself and to pray about and to do um, over an extended period of time. I surrender my need to know to you. So please, Jesus, just use this somehow in my life to benefit others, to glorify you, and to make more room for you in my life. Amen. Amen. And that completely changed. I would just like to point out how morbid it is, though, that I know that that's not what he means, but when, I, when he thought about to make more room, I thought about, like, the death of people and being like, use this to make more room for you in my life. And I'm like, mm, that doesn't come across quite right because it makes it sound like, Oh, good. Now that this person I love is dead, there's more room for you, Jesus. And I'm, 
I know that's not what he meant. Change my attitude. That's because I'm telling went. you what, I was throwing a pretty good self-pity party. Oh, I tell you so what, good, I felt pretty picked on by the universe and pretty singled out for misery. I tell you what, I started to wonder if there was sin in my life or whatever other reason there was that my life seemed to be collapsing in around me all over the place. I felt like a victim that somebody was doing something to, and if you're a victim, you'll never break through to victory. Pastor if you're Paul a Tomlinson? passive player in your life, you'll never have an active overcoming faith. So when I surrendered all my need to know and understand to God, it shifted my attitude. I no longer felt like a victim that something was being done to. I felt like, you know what? God is doing something in my life through all of this. And I want the Lord to do something in my life through all of this. And that is what surrender brought me to. And it helped. It helped so much to go forward into restoration, but I'm not done. There's more I could say about surrender, but I will take the time to get this one last point in. Surrender means living on God's timeline instead of becoming angry that nothing seems to be improving. I've learned something. God's timeline feels like it's sometimes used as an excuse, but I think it is something that is good. I agree with him. I totally Ugh. agree here that we need to remember that we can't push things. But I also think we need to remember that not to use that as an excuse to not do anything. Like, I'm waiting for God's I am, timeline. I, you know what? I am, I am struggling so hard with this right now with things that I am working on and things that are important to me. And I really do feel like there's just this like fire in me to to take certain action and to speak out on certain issues and um I can't tell if God has just lit a fire under my butt to do it or whether or not um I'm just being impatient as a person the things that overwhelm us about God and the why's and the what's and the why nows I can understand that God is God his ways are not my ways, that he has a plan. I don't always understand it, but I know he does. That I'm a part of his plan because he loves me and he said that he does. The part that gets to me sometimes is the timeline, right? You're trying to hang in there with God and hang in there with God and hang in there with God and it seems to be taking forever. It seems to not be moving forward. It seems sometimes to be going into reverse. And you start to wonder, why this now? Why so long? Why, why, why? And I'm telling you what, it was really helpful to surrender to God's timeline and said, of course, Lord, you have a plan. And I know that I'm a part of it, but I think your timing is rotten, God. Amen. I, I don't understand why it's taking so long <sighs> and why all these things now. But Lord, Lord, you have a perfect plan and a perfect timing for your plan. Oh, guys, if you will begin to surrender the timeline and start to trust the Lord for his timing, you will find a grace to move forward into Restoration. I got one more. Surrender keeps our hearts open to God instead of doubting 
that God loves me personally and perfectly. Surrender keeps your sure heart open to God. Related. If Satan can use the circumstances in your life mm -hmm. to close your heart down from God's love, mm -hmm. surrender it's a serious say no. thing. Surrender and you know what? We can no. all only take so much. I talk to people today because people are more honest about it, which I think is healthy. People who once loved the Lord, but they no longer love the Lord, and now they openly doubt whether any of it's true or that even God exists. That's very common today. And I'm interested in that, and I care about people, and I hear the pain in their lives. And I say, so why did you just sort of throw the Lord aside? And they go, you know what, I, I really thought more about it, and I just think it's all irrational. Wait a minute, no. I tend to think that it feels like to me, at least from my generation, that people leave the church because of hypocrisy and not because of pain. Um, I think that there is a Which myth. Which is a problem because it's sinners and hypocrites all the way down. No, I just think that there is a myth that people um, that people leave the church because they don't understand what God is doing to them. But I think that generally the instances of pain bring people closer to God. I really think that that's the way it goes. I think it's the not living out God, the people of God not living out God's love the way he taught us to that sends people away from the church and i think it's a lot more comfortable to sit in the oh i got hurt and i don't understand it because then it doesn't put it on us and yeah. i feel like that's when, not reality when they, when they do surveys and they ask people why'd you leave the church it, it's because because of a person someone did something or there was a fight in the or church an idea someone was mean that is, that is put out by the church yeah but usually it's an individual thing it's not a the church does this it's People Our generation left the church for one reason. A number of reasons. One reason. Um, and I think it all comes back to the people. The people, they, they chose I rejected rules. the church for the same reason. They chose rules over people. Yeah. Which I think, right, if you read the New Testament, when, when Christ is confronted. <laughs> he like says, I think we said this in our last episode, right? When Christ is confronted with, do you follow the rule or do you take care of the person? Christ always said, the rule is take care of the person. Yeah. If you're following the rules, you're taking care of the person. You know, you're, Christ will come again and separate the sheep from the goats, but Christ doesn't make us sheep or goats. We make us sheep or goats. We are choosing right now, are you a sheep or are you a goat? I don't know that that's theologically correct. I don't know that it's theologically wrong, but I feel like I don't know I if think, that's right. But I think people are leaving the church because we are choosing to be goats. We are choosing theological or just legalism. 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 That's much better. Yeah, you're so smart. Legalism over people. We're choosing rules that we made up that we said, this is what the Bible says. Almost like the, what, 600 plus rules. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? The Levitical yeah, no, law. Yeah, I got it. Um, right? That we we piled on and, and then somebody comes into the church and they're not churching right. Yeah. Or what they hear is you didn't know the rules or you're not an insider. You don't really belong here. Yeah. And I think that's the pain that causes people to leave. That's part of it. Well, I'll get off my high horse and let Pastor talk. It was rational when you believed it, and it's rational now that you don't believe it. What really happened to you? Our religion is irrational. They often won't talk okay. about it, but sometimes it can be irrational and correct. Yeah. <laughs> if no, they talk he, about it, they basically say, you know say, what? I gave up on the Lord because I feel like he gave up on me. That's painful to say. I gave up on God because I felt, frankly, like he gave up on me. When I needed him, he wasn't there. When I needed him to come through, he didn't come through. When I thought that it was going to get better, it just got worse. And I thought, you know what? 
I have never heard of a person rejecting Christ for that reason. Well, I think— I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I just have no, never experienced it. I agree, but I also think it's important to remember that— And he is a— It says in the Bible, you write, what are God's hands? We are God's hands. God didn't come through for those people means— we didn't come through for those right. People. So I guess it does take. But the other thing I was going to say is, um, I'm probably being unfair to him because he has a lot bigger frame of reference of people who have been in the church in their lives, and I didn't grow up with that. So when he says that, oh, the people I know fell away for this reason, it's way more likely that it's someone who did, um, who was a Christian at some point, because he knows a lot more people who used to be Christians yeah. than I do. None of this is happens. true. If you surrender your desperation, your pain, your impatience, and say, you know what, God? The cross of Jesus says that you love me. I don't feel it right now. I don't see it right now. But I look to the cross, and I'm gonna keep believing that you love me, that you're for me, and that you will never take your love away from me. That surrender keeps your heart open. With an open heart, you can move forward. With an open heart, you're going to enter into a season of restoration, I promise you. Ooh. Job season. did. Big pre- I know you hate seasons. Job did. Job finally like surrendered. To describe stuff. God basically so pinned him up against point. the wall yeah, and said, okay, Job. Once and for all, two questions. Number one, am I God or are you Ooh, God? And number two, oh, am I going to be oh, in your life God. or are you kicking me out of your life? And Job said, you're God and I have to have you in my life. I'm actually right before that, Job <laughs> I'm said, not going to lie. If God, God, is, again, if God is actually talking in to me, life and to I'm going to just go with it. Oh, you are there. Into restoration. We see a picture of a restored man God does at the last years of his life. And that's how the Lord wants to see your life going forward. Job was restored, but he was changed forever. There we go. He could never forget what happened. He knew that it changed him. So that's why we're calling this sermon today Scarred but Blessed. Scarred but Restored. Let's be honest. The things that we go through do affect us. They do change us. They put something into and onto our lives that were not there before. But it is through surrender that our loss loses the power to define us as victims. We are not victims. We didn't let fate control us. We surrendered our lives to God. That's not being a victim. I have, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around that, but I remember both times now and when I listened to it the first time, I felt comforted by that whole part um, that I... I'm not sure victim is the right word. But, but I still feel comfortable, comforted by the idea. I, and I can't articulate why. It is through surrender that we are carried beyond fate into the blessed victory of Jesus. It's real. It's coming. But it leaves scars. Let's just be honest that it does. And then let's close by saying something about scars. We follow a person who carries scars on his body. The scars of Jesus keep my life from being filled with open wounds. The metaphor breaks life down at some wounds. point. No, I like this metaphor, actually. And those wounds, if they are left open, can become infected. And then they can become very, very toxic. And then they can scar all the way to our wounds. soul and kill think, our faith. Mm, I like it. 
But Jesus Christ takes his wounded hands and he touches those wounds. And he brings hope. He said wound too many times. That may be true. <laughs> time of our life will not define us forever. He brings help in the form of people who support us, stand hey, with missing. us, and love us. Talk about a hallmark and above moment. all, he brings healing. He heals our wounds and mends them into scars so that we can go. He just did the uh, church mission in the end of his sermon. I think that's the second week in a row he's done that. It brings hope. It brings help. It brings healing. Do, 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 do. It's our forward into restoration. What he did for Job, he will do for you. It alarms me that you didn't if recognize that. You are in that. the season of your life. I was busy making a when Moana you joke. I see in my sermon. But there's one oh, little good. postscript to my story. Oh, no. Postscript. <laughs> All right. To be fair, he, he identified this? it as a postscript. He's been watching too many Marvel after movies. After that <laughs> day, <laughs> after the credit scene, in the doctor's office. After a time of crying, Kathy got pregnant again. And our family of four became a family of five. As all good families do. The child whose birth came out of that season of our life is now a 19-year-old young man. I've met him. He's in the second (laughs) year in college. For his mom's birthday late last month. He won't listen to this. He sent her flowers. Actually, he might. He's a good kid. He's like, oh, the church put out something. I'm going to be a good boy and listen to it. And he also told us he was threatening to do it. But he also confided, in fact, he was proud of it, that he also got his first tattoo. This made me want to get a tattoo, too. I don't know what it is. Right here on his ribs. I've always wanted to get a tattoo, but I'm not cool enough, so I can't pull it off. He'd been talking about it for a while. He's going through a spiritual upsurge in his life right now. And he'd always been drawn to the great motto of Johann Sebastian Bach, the great motto of Johann Sebastian Bach, the thing that he signed every one of his compositions with was a phrase in Latin. That phrase is soli deo gloria. Our son carries that Latin phrase, to God alone be the glory, as a witness to his life and to his faith. I wasn't really excited about him getting that tattoo. I can't tell him not to. He's his own man. He has his own money. No, you can tell him I not to. I figured that this would slow <laughs> him down. Have any power to enforce I said, it. son, you get that tattoo. I'm going to get the same tattoo. On my butt. I'll keep you updated on the process <laughs> of that tattoo. All right. And on that note. <laughs> well, on that note, move on to our... Everyone's favorite segment of <laughs> how we end every show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, All one and a half of them now. Yes. And soon two or three. Uh, what what pop culture item, movie, show, or song? Or book. Or book should you check out instead of listening to this? What should you have done instead of listening to this podcast to learn the same lesson but better? Uh, I was going to say Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events. Um, that's a job story. And Ooh. it is. It, the That's book a good is, one. I've never read the books, um, but the new uh, Neil Patrick Harris, is it, on, is it Amazon that's put it on? I think so. It's Might either be, Amazon Netflix or Netflix. Um, so it's like available if you have any streaming. Um, it's wonderful. And we did not continue to watch it because we're lazy and tired people. But the ones that we did watch were really well done. And I've heard a lot of people really love um, that mm. series. I, 
that's a good one but i think it doesn't quite capture the restoration of job they do end up in a good place in the end i think i think they do but it's not quite restored they do in the movie with jim carrey they <laughs> sorry that's all i know what i would I say i think i'd actually like reading lemonade snicket uh, i've just never done it i would recommend well actually i think my last week's recommendation of um, Arrested Development uh, is applicable here, right? Because it literally starts out like the show starts with the phrase, and now the story of a family law who lost everything and the son who's trying to get it back. Like, oh, uh, then, but uh, better than that, please go check out the classic movie if you haven't seen it. Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places, which I've yeah, I know it. you asked me. You said, "Oh, we might have the same one." You're yeah, right, no, you no. didn't have Trading Places, but it's a great one. It's about a two two rich guys who make a bet. That actually wasn't the one I was thinking uh, that of at that time. They could cause that they could make anyone rich and anyone poor, and that it's purely circumstances, or is it innate? And so they take Dan Aykroyd, who's rich, and they, through shenanigans, you know, plant Freaky Friday. No, they plant evidence on him, so there's crimes, and he loses all, all his money. And then Eddie Murphy plays a homeless person who they give lots of money to, um, and it's about losing and gaining and. And that restoration. And how it affects. And but there is a restoration in the end when Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy team up for reasons. But I um, won't spoil it. I was going to say that my initial thought was Downton Abbey because we used to call Downton Abbey a series of unfortunate events that happened to Edith. <laughs> and if you look at the whole series from that um, standpoint, it's a funnier. I mean, not that I don't love Downton Abbey as it stands, um, but B, you could just see her having her own wow wow Jones story too. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and subscribe. It helps others discover our podcast. We'll see you next week and we'll save you a seat here in the back pew.